lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yerlich. And it's season four, Forgotten Books of the Bible, and we're sitting here in Vista, California with one of our favorite pastors, Pastor Chris Brown. Hey, everybody. Great to be back with you again. Chris was on last season with Samson, and that was great. Like, my dad came up to me when he was like, so tell me about this ideal idiot, Samson. <laughs> and I was like, so we talked about an ideal idiot. Speaking of that, this episode is releasing on my dad's birthday, so happy, happy birthday, birthday dad. dad. Happy birthday, Pops. Don't be an ideal idiot. You uh, raised a great son. I really thought that you were going to be like, oh, we found the new host and we were inviting Chris back on. I'm like, yeah, we liked it so much. Uh, getting rid of Murdoch. Speaking of ideal <laughs> idiots, here's Chris Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. <laughs> so today we're looking at a book that I guess with the series we wanted to cover books that are in the Bible that most people have forgotten or don't even know that are there or don't really get preached from the pulpit too much. So we're looking at 2 Timothy, and me and Murdoch, as we're talking about it from uh, the planning side of it, thought this is a good one. A lot of people go to 1 Timothy, and we'll look in there. We got, uh, what's 1 Timothy? Is it 4.12? Don't look down on them because you're younger, and everyone goes to that verse. It's pretty popular in there. So we were like, but there's no love for 2 Timothy. Mm-mm. Let's give 2 Timothy some love. So we're here with that, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to pick your brain on it because... All right, slim pickings, but I'm up for the challenge, boys. Let's go. So first question then is for you, where was Paul writing this letter from? Yeah, I think most people will agree he's writing this from Roman prison. Now, whether it was his first imprisonment and then he got released before beheaded, I'm in that camp that thinks this is his last imprisonment. Mm -hmm. This is a letter that Paul knows, man, my time is up. This is a letter where he goes, you know, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm about to be released. My time is done. I'm in that camp. I think a lot of theologians uh, believe that this is Paul's final letter. These are the famous last words. This is his farewell. He's going to talk about those that have departed from him. He's going to talk about being alone in prison. He's going to talk about others that are out on assignments. And then I think when he's reflecting back on these 30 years of incredible ministry, since a blinding light, you know, knocked him on his butt, on the road to Damascus, his, his thoughts and his heart goes to his boy, Timothy. Um, and that's where this starts. Tim, I love you like a son. And so this really, it's, it's location, location, location. You know, every real estate, everything, it's location. Mm-hmm. But every time you go to scripture, before you read, you, you should stop and at least do a 10-minute, little 15-minute survey, intro to the book, mm-hmm. or where it's at. Or if nothing else, use the Bible Project and just watch an eight-minute animation. That's my study skills. And you're going to find who's writing it, who are they writing it to, and why. Location, location, location. And then the words in this book. It's not going to be a forgotten book. It's going to become one of your most favorite in the Bible. That's interesting that you brought up Bible Project because that's where I was at studying for today as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, they sum it up very nicely and put it all into one cute animated thing. So I should have watched the Bible Project for that. (laughs) All right, listenership. uh, We're done with your church friends. Go to the Bible Project. (laughs) A very good podcast and video. Great guys working. uh, It originally started in a church, uh, Blackhawk Church up in Madison, Wisconsin, part of our uh, EV Free movement. Amazing guys who were doing stuff for their church and then turned this Bible Project into 
I just think one of the most amazing study tools for yeah. whether you're an MDiv getting ready to speak on a book or whether you've been a Christian for four hours going, man, where do I start? Incredible depth in an animated form, great theology, can't speak more highly of it. Yeah. I watch it with my daughter and she's getting stuff and I'm getting stuff. And it's like, we're watching the same video. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, it really is. So we got that where he's writing from, from the Roman prison. And that's where, like you said, a lot of people kind of go there. And I've got to imagine being in a Roman prison. And like you said, knowing this is kind of, this is it, that this letter is very personal. It's a very personal letter. So uh, with that, he's writing to Timothy. Do you mind giving us a backdrop on who Timothy is? Yeah, Timothy is one of these young men that are picked up in the book of Acts, and it's an incredible little story. On Paul's second missionary journey, they're traveling through um, the Derby, Lystra, Iconium area in Galatia, and uh, his dad is a Greek, his mom is a Jew. Um, second Timothy, he will talk about the faith, his mom and grandmother. Right, so the right. faith comes from mom's side of the family. And he's got such an incredible reputation amongst these communities that people say he should go with you. I mean, he's a young guy, but man, he's got faith in the Lord. Ironically, Paul is bringing back a declaration from the council in Jerusalem saying Gentiles don't have to be circumcised anymore. And I know for a lot of Christians nowadays, you're like, what was the big deal with circumcision? Why is that something spreading? <laughs> a bunch of Gentiles who haven't had to be circumcised. Yeah. Like, what's, what was that? Well, because a bunch of non-Jews were becoming Christians, but then they found out about the club dues and they're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm that committed yet. <laughs> but it was more than just circumcision. It was, are we still under the law? Mm -hmm. And circumcision was the sign of... Yeah. Are we still under law or do we really live under grace and mercy? So Paul is bringing a letter telling people, you don't have to be circumcised. Then he picks up Timothy. And then the, the book of Acts says this, because Timothy's reputation in the area and all the Jews knew that his dad was a Greek, therefore he wouldn't have been circumcised. Paul said, would you mind doing this for the team? So you have this weird, like, what's the hypocrisy? Paul just went to Jerusalem, fought this whole battle about why you don't have to be circumcised. On the next journey, he picks up Timothy and goes, hey, would you mind doing this? And Tim's got to be like, don't you have a letter saying I don't have to? And he goes, that's right. But we're going to go now and minister to the Jews. And them knowing who you are and the family you come from, it will be a hindrance to the gospel, even though you don't have to even though you have all the freedoms in the world. So Timothy, right off the bat, shows this incredible character and commitment as a young man going, I have my personal freedoms, I have my personal rights, and I'm going to lay them down if that means some Jewish families will allow us in and listen to the gospel. Just that opening story of mm -hmm. Tim is incredible. It also shows when in 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, this faith that was in your mom and your grandmother, we exclude dad. So you've got all the makings here to see this young guy starts traveling with the Apostle Paul. Paul becomes the spiritual father figure to him. Paul, a guy now it's 30 years on the road, not married, no kids, has found his spiritual son. And that's why the book of Timothy opens. If we can jump into it, let's go 2 Timothy verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy... My dear son, man, those words have got to be powerful. He'll write Titus, who he'll send out. You know, Titus is my partner. You know, greet Titus. He's my partner in Christ. His words are my words. And, and Titus is like, man, I'm a partner with Paul. But Timothy gets that, dude, you're my boy. You're my son. I know my time is short. If there's one more book I have to write, you're going through a really tough stage right now. And my last words are just going to be to encourage you. It might not get easier, but you're going to get greater faith. That's kind of the context of 2 Timothy. 
Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's Acts 16 where we pick up that story, right? If people wanted to look into that and see where where uh, Timothy first gets picked up by Paul. Uh, so if anybody's listening, wants to go read that and you'll be able to find that story that you just shared. And I'm with you, just his intro with just his willingness to do what's necessary for the gospel, yeah. his heart for other people and his compassion. There's like, yeah, whatever it takes on my end, I'll, I'll lay that down like you were saying. And uh, in this letter, I see Paul bringing that up when he's really talking about fan into flames, that faith that's there, because Paul knows what's in him. And yep. he's going, look, I'm on the yep. way out, but I'm encouraging you. Yeah, I, I did some research and I actually liked the, the beginning when you said location, location, location yeah. with the book. So with this study where we're going through books of the Bible, it actually forced me to do that a little bit more than I would normally do it on my own personal or even preparing for a message when I speak. And so I did like deep study into thing. And I was like, I was texting Murdoch. I was like, man. The book of Joel is awesome. Obadiah is like legit. Why is no one talking about these things? And then I got into Timothy prepping for this one. And uh, one of the things I came across when I was doing a study was that these are the terms that Paul used for Timothy throughout the Bible. And it was fellow worker, and that's in Romans and 1 Thessalonians. Uh, He called him a brother in 2 Corinthians, Colossians, and 1 Thessalonians. He called him a bondservant in Philippians 1.1. He called him beloved and faithful child of the Lord in 1 Corinthians, and then in both the letters to Timothy, he called him son. And then uh, the last one I had was he called him a co-equal in the Lord's work. And that was in Corinthians and Thessalonians. Yeah. So you could see this relationship, like you were saying, like you Titus You can see that transgression building. Yeah. You know, the further he journeyed with Paul, the more he went with Paul. The other thing that's unique is where is Timothy? So Timothy is left to pastor in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Now here you've got the fourth largest city. It's either third or fourth. Money is on fourth. Fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It's a massive port city just adjacent across from Corinth, and it is the gateway to all things at that time, what they would call Asia, what we would call modern-day Turkey, but it is where all land transportation is going to meet. It's where you're going to have a massive home of shipping. You've got a theater in Ephesus that's still there today. You can see the ruins of it. It seats 24,000 people. It is a giant theater carved into the rock where the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the Roman way in theater and in design and public speaking in pros and cons is being delivered constantly to indoctrinate the people. It's got one of the seven wonders of the world, the uh, ancient wonders, the temple to Artemis or Diana, the Mm -hmm. goddess of the hunt, fertility, the goddess of sexuality. It's a massive, massive, I think, 120 or something like that pillar structure, 60 feet high. It's an enormous temple of open brothel prostitution worship. and Ephesus is known primarily for being the center of the black magic, the dark arts, the abracadabras, the incantations. People will travel far and wide with a great sum of money to buy these blessings or for a higher price to buy curses. These, these abracadabras written down on paper that these curses you will take back home and bury in your neighbor's field or close to your neighbor's house to curse them. The blessings you wear under your garments close to your skin to bless you. And it's are these little terracotta shrines of the goddess of many breasts, you know, Artemis are being sold. It is a deep-rooted place in the dark arts. And yet Paul spent over two years there teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, Acts 19 or 20. And Ephesus, the Christians become so committed that the, the trade workers in the city have a riot. The unions have a riot mm-hmm. yeah. because the Christian belief has killed the idol worship and the markets. And so now there's a giant riot. They end up carrying people down to that giant theater. The, the mayor has to come out and go, guys, you got to settle down. Rome's going to come in and blow us out of the water. So it is a community that Paul poured his heart and soul into for over two years. 
Who does he leave that very personal church in the hands of? His boy, Tim. And that's First Timothy. And it's got what you mentioned, that 412, I think it is. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. Buddy, you set an example for these believers in your life, in your speech, in your love. And First Timothy is filled with, man, take the city by storm. Mm-hmm. Timothy, I'm leaving you Ephesus. You got a great group of people. These people are so committed. They're changing the marketplace here and the economy of the town. Man, this is going to be amazing. And just three years later, we have this little dark book, Second Timothy, where Paul knows the wind has been taken out of Tim's sail. He's about to throw in the towel. He's done. What happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. And Timothy thought he can take the city by storm. And the city recently has been storming him. And this letter is to a pastor, not a church, who's about to throw in the towel because it's just not worth it anymore. And that's, that's the context, the city, who's writing it, who he's writing it to. And he writes, my son. 25 times this phrase is used. 25 times he encourages him to be strong in four little chapters. If someone has to 25 times tell you to find strength, it's because he knows you're weak and you're about to tap out. And this is where Paul's final words need to land and go to. I got a question that isn't on the ones I sent you. I think we already covered all those. So now we're just free flow. (laughs) Yeah, there's two more with those ones. But this one was actually from my wife yesterday when we were talking about on the car ride uh, to get breakfast about today's recording. She said, you know what I would really want to know is the kind of what you're already talking about, but like how important is a relationship like a Paul and Timothy in the church? Oh, it's everything. It is everything. Anyone listening today that's doing ministry and you're doing it alone, you got two choices. Quickly knock it off and get with some people or quickly quit ministry. You can't do this alone. If Jesus picked 12 to walk with, how many do we need? And out of that 12, he had three that seemed to be a lot closer, Peter, Mm -hmm. James, and John. They got picked for all the good stuff. You know, you want to go in and see a dead girl raised from that? Peter, James, and John. You guys want to go up to the mountain and see me transfigured? Peter, James, and John. You know, hey, you guys wait here in the garden. I got to go pray. Mm, Peter, James, and John. And I'm like, you got 12. If you're taking three someplace, put them on a four-team rotation, give some other people a shot. But he seemed to have no problem going, man, these are the guys that, kind of the first pick, the first to leave boats. These are the guys I'm with, man. And if we don't have a group we're with, and out of that, if we don't have a group that surrounds us, that goes, these are the guys I'm with. This is the one I pick up a phone, and on the way home from an elder meeting, I call and go, dude, I, I think I'm done. This is the one I pick up in the midst of our COVID madness when yet another family's leaving the church because they want us to be more about winning an election than winning souls. I got to pick up the phone and go, dude, how are you doing this? Um, I got to be a guy who's, when this phone rings, I'm going to pick it up and go, dude, that's Ricky. I'm taking this because Ricky's like, dude, I'm on my way home from a board meeting. I'm done. <laughs> you want a church? Cause I'm leaving mine, buddy. I'm, I'm calling you hall after I'm calling you. I'm packing up the fam. There are going to be days like that. And Paul knows it. In fact, can we jump with your wife's question? Yeah. Um, chapter two. Chapter one is some great greetings. I, Apostle, you, Timothy, my son, I need you to find faith. I need you to find courage. Ministry is going to tough. It's going to be opposition, yada, yada. It's great stuff. A call to faithfulness and courage. But then the real meat of this, I think, starts in chapter two. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul goes, okay, Timothy, you then, let me tell you what I'm writing. You got to find strength and you're not going to find it in yourself. You got to find it in grace. And secondly, you got to do this with others. 
I know we use this in trust, reliable man. Oh, this is a multiplication of ministry. I think there's a lot more to it than that. Timothy, you're at the end of a very dark street. The temple of Artemis down the road is getting a lot more people than you are. The open orgy gets a lot more attendance than the open prayer night. The world that you thought you were going to win is now kicking your butt. And I need you to find strength. And Timothy, you can't do this alone. You've got to trust some people alongside of you. And that's where it starts. And the rest of this book is going to pour into that strength and that loneliness of ministry and say, here's what you need. Yeah, and how you brought it from uh, Jesus had his 12, right? And we see that Paul had this with Timothy, also with Titus, also with Silas. Silas, Luke. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he had uh, he was putting this into practice. So as he's still teaching, and he would say like, hey, just like you see it in Jesus and like you see it in me, you know, when it comes to suffering and persecution, I yeah. think that he's also passing this along that you need to surround yourself. And I think that also as Timothy is getting up there and he's more experienced, you know, find the people to be pouring into. Yep. And I've always heard that you need to have that person above you who's pouring into you, the person side by side that you're co-laboring with and the person beneath you that you're pouring into or more, you know, I'm a yeah. fan of many mentors and, and, you know, open the circle up. So I'm with you on all that. And it's funny. We're the most communal relationship driven organization. And yet the people at the top tend to be the loneliest Yeah, because we build the pedestal that we're on. You know, the pedestal that we fall off of is built by our own hands, our own image, what we are projecting, you know, well, everyone's coming to me, you know, for all the answers. Cause you've set up a system where everyone needs to come to you. You're in charge of that system. And yeah, we tend to go, well, no one understands where I'm at. Well, you put yourself in a corner where you're above the law or above others, and no one does understand. Second Timothy, don't get me wrong, amazing resource for Christians, but it is written to a pastor mm-hmm. at the end of his rope. That's the context. And so really to get the most out of it, you got to understand this is for leaders who feel like I'm throwing in the top. And he goes, man, he goes off to being weak and alone to let me give you three things that I need you to hold on to, Timothy. You got to endure hardship with us like a good soldier mm-hmm. of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Timothy, let me give you three pictures. I'm going to give you a soldier. I'm going to give you uh, an athlete. And I'm going to give you a farmer. Right. These are all people that have a bigger picture in mind. These are all people that are committed to a bigger thing than them. These are all people that realize it's going to be an enemy. There's going to be opposition. It's not going to be easy. These are all people that realize I don't get paid till the end of this war. I don't get paid till the end of the harvest. I don't get paid till the end of this race. No one's working for the 15th and 30th in this line of work. There's a much bigger picture here. And so he gives them these pictures of endurance. He doesn't go, Timothy, let me give you five things to pray and life's going to become easy for you. He doesn't, Timothy, let me give you seven steps to faith that's going to produce a lot of rest for your soul and ease. No, he goes, hey, gear up. You're in a battle. You forgot we had an enemy. I, so many pastors just go, man, I just, I just feel like so much of what I'm doing is being shot to hell right now. And I'm like, no, it's not being shot to hell. It's being shot by hell. Yeah, I was going to say. And you forgot we had an enemy. Mm-hmm. The very first thing he says is we're in a battle. You ever seen those pictures? Yeah, I don't know if you got friends like me. All my friends are warped. That's why they're my friends. And I'll get just <laughs> random video clips. And I'm like, okay, what's this dude sending me? And it's got some tall grass somewhere in Africa, the Serengeti. And the wind's just kind of blowing this dry yellow grass. And then it lays down a little bit. And you see this lion. And you're like, oh. And then the camera shows you this field of, I don't know, a bunch of spirally horned polka dotted deer. They got a name, but they're some sort of deer. They're all just deer. <laughs> and they're all, they're all out there in the field. And immediately, because I know my buddy that sent it, I'm like, oh, this is, this is going to be good. Now, if you're a deer lover, you should turn this off. But because I'm just an animal lover, I'm like, I'm going to watch this. And that lion creeps until it just gets that 
reflex where it takes off mm-hmm. and the deer run. And the lion always hunts down the one that's what? Old or injured. And, or young. Yeah. and alone. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And alone. And, and this is exactly what Paul is writing to those of us in ministry. Timothy, 25 times, I'm going to ask you to find strength, not in yourself, not in what you do, not in the people with you. Your strength's going to come from the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And Timothy, I'm going to ask you to do this with others. And he goes, and listen, why? Because you're in a battle. You have an enemy that loves finding people in ministry who are weak and alone. And I've been around so many pastors, so many Christians. Just go, give me two adjectives that sum up the power of Christ in your life right now. The what? Give me two adjectives that talk about the power of Christ in your life. And if we were honest, so many of us would go weak and alone. I am working my butt off in Ephesus. And it's not making a difference. These last three years have taken a toll. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I've taken more personal shots than I have in my entire career. And I just don't know if it's worth it. And Paul's last letter comes in the nick of time and goes, my boy, let me tell you where you're at. You're weak. You're alone. The enemy is having a heyday now with a bunch of injured deer who aren't running with anybody. And I got to remind you, you're in a battle. Mm-hmm. You follow the commander. Okay? You, you don't care what the world says. Let me remind you, you're an athlete. You don't cut the corners. You don't run across the middle of the track. You stay in your lane. And at the end, there's a prize. Let me remind you, the hardworking farmer, he's doing the best that he can, but he's giving it all to heaven. The sun and the rain, just the right amount, not too much, not too little. It's all in God's hand, and he knows payday doesn't come till this entire thing is done. The harvest is at the end. And then Paul flips it and says, by the way, sad person, can I remind you? Verse 8, chapter 2, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Now, now wait a second. Who's writing this? Paul. Paul. Who's he writing it to? Timothy. Timothy. Okay, what's what's Paul's position? Paul is a... Apostle. Apostle. What is Timothy's position? Pastor. He's a pastor. An apostle is writing a pastor going, hey, do you remember Jesus? Which shouldn't be something a pastor should forget. And it shouldn't be something an apostle should have to remind a pastor. He's like, look, I know you can fill out the questionnaire. I know you can do multiple choice on Jesus. But can I just remind you why we're in this thing? I just, the first time I got that line in context, it blew me away. An apostle writing a pastor going, hey, do you remember Jesus? And Timothy's got to be like, Jesus, Jesus, that sounds familiar. Do you remember Jesus? Do you remember why we do what we do? You know, he was one that raised from the dead. He's one that's proved that he's God and his spirit is alive today. He descended from David. This is the one the entire Old Testament, the Messiah, it's been up to. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Oh, but you know what's not suffering? God's word. God's word is not chained. Therefore, I'm going to endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. By the way, sitting at your church at the end of the road in Ephesus, getting upset because you've lost more members and people are upset at you and you get more hate mail. Do you know where I am? I'm in a prison in Rome and I'm chained. And you know why I'm not whining and complaining? Because people here are still being saved. That's the job. And you know why? Because I remember Jesus. And guess what you forgot, Pastor? You forgot Jesus. You forgot the one that was crucified and who he is and where we get our strength from. But man, you've been trying your best at ministry, haven't you? And you forgot where strength comes from. And that's the beauty of this book. This book, because it's, as you guys say, kind of the forgotten books, because it doesn't come with a lot of happy verses, a lot of great thought. It's a hard book that says there's going to be pain and suffering. Did you forget you're in a battle? 
Did you forget our enemy is a roaring lion and he's really, really good? Did you forget like an athlete? There's going to be a lot of work until we were in a crown. Did you forget like a hardworking farmer? The harvest comes later. See, all of us preach about heaven. We just want it now. And did you forget that I'm in chains? And you haven't heard me whine once in this book. You know why? Because some people are still being saved. Because I remember Jesus. And I don't deserve a better life than him. Most of us just think we do. And that's the heart of the book. Mm. I like that point. Most of us forget that we deserve better or think we deserve better than him. One of the things I did want to touch on as you're talking about the three, uh, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. So now in my later years, I was never a soldier. I was an athlete. My niece tell me I can't do that anymore. But now I said your niece. No, not my niece. Well, my niece. <laughs> Come has been on, uncle, me. you can't do that. Oh yeah, my whole family tells me I can't. Yeah. Dad, don't pick that up. <laughs> I'm in that boat too with the kids. Uh, but now I'm a farmer. We grow stuff in our backyard. We're backyard farmers. We have chickens. We're doing everything. So it, it's great. But yeah, there's a lot of hard work. And like you mentioned like the sun is out of your control. Rain is out of your. Con- I mean, we're in California. When do we get rain other than yesterday? And that's going to be it for like a long time. And you've got a couple planters in your backyard. Yeah. You're not looking at the South 40 and the North 60. No, no. Yep. Yeah. So it's there and we've got it all set up. But there are like other enemies that are always attacking. Yeah. So we had gopher issues. Oh. Until I solved that problem with the gopher hawk. Yeah. And I, I will sponsor that or put that out there. Anyone who has gopher issues, go buy that on Amazon because I've taken out so many with that thing. We had Is it. Is that another name for a 22 rifle? No, no. I, oh. My wife won't let me. Just sitting in the backyard? <laughs> I'm West Texas, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, go for Hawk. That's what I call her. No, it's a little trap con- contraption thing, but my wife oh. won't let me shoot a gun. She'll, she's petrified. I'll hurt myself, which I agree with. You made a California girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, we, I, I took them out. Those things were destroying our watermelons. We had oh, these yeah? nice, luscious watermelons. <laughs> I would go to flip them because you're supposed to so they could get sun on the other side, and it was just eaten. Yep. Or you would see it growing, and then all of a sudden the vines withered. They snipped the vine coming yeah. up, took care of them. Now we're growing other stuff, and we haven't had them be an issue. Our strawberries are looking good this year, and we got roly-polies now eating away at our strawberries. So every morning, I'm out there when the, the grass and everything is due, because that's when they come out, and I'm picking roly-polies and throwing them in a little cup, because I'm going to then feed them to my chickens. But I'm fighting that enemy. And if I take a day off, our strawberries... roly-polies win. Yeah. And, and that's, it just reminded me of what you're saying that like to understand, like there's a real enemy that there's a constant battle with, even the gardener knows that the farmer knows it's a constant battle and you have to put in the hard work or else if you don't, then yeah, why are you even planting to yeah. begin with? I'm Luster of Luster's Prosthetics, the number one retail warehouse of quality prosthetics. Here to tell you about our latest product in the prosthetic line. We call it the itching ear. What is the itching ear you ask? It's a prosthetic ear that allows you to hear only what you want to hear. No longer do you have to worry about what the truth is because the itching ear allows you to create your own sweet truth. You don't have to put up with what some call sound doctrine anymore with the itching ear. If you don't like what someone is saying, then all you have to do is turn on the itching ear and it allows you to hear whatever suits your desires. You'll live happily ever after in your own reality, hearing exactly what you want to hear. So if you're tired of having to hear what others want you to hear, 
Stop by Luster's today and pick up the itching ear. Also, check out our new location adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. Luster's, leading the way in prosthetics since 1972. I think looking at that thing of the enemy, you know, even the example of, you know, the daily work with the roly-polies, but then Chris, how you're, I guess, Chris and Chris. Yes, how yeah. you're both saying. You're in a Chris sandwich right now. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Murdock in the middle. <laughs> Just how, you know, a pastor needed to be reminded about Jesus. And yeah. when we're looking at these things about the forgotten books, it's, yeah, we often need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what we've forgotten. Yep. And when we've forgotten, you know, Jesus is the one with the grace, with the strength, the center of everything, the one who holds it all together, through whom all things were created, right? He yeah. is our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. Man, to be reminded of that, no matter where we're at, because we're in this battle, because we have the enemy, I think that a book that's written to a pastor, I don't know, just as I'm looking at 2022 and as you're looking, you know, as you've shared different examples with some of your friends and different ministry stuff, I just know a lot of my friends who are Christians who aren't even pastors are just looking at, I'm getting just torn up by this enemy, you know, either forgetting that I'm in the battle or getting tired with this daily work on stuff. But I think that the reminder that in this forgotten book is, we need to remember Jesus yeah. or in different books, you know, set your eyes upon Jesus or as the old hymns would say. And it's just like Timothy. So many of us can teach him. We can quote him. We yeah. can recite him. But man, we forgot to remember him. And I know we got into this COVID season a couple years ago, two summers ago. And in the midst of all the racial unrest, in the midst of the riots, in the midst of the political, in the midst of the vaccination, non-vaccination, COVID, not COVID, in the midst of the politics, uh, I could teach Jesus with the best of them, but man, my heart and my head didn't feel him. And I got to a place end of July where I was done. There's always been a lot of things about church I didn't like. I'm always careful because it's the bride of Christ. I don't believe there's any open season just for tearing apart and mocking the church. You better remember whose bride she is. But uh, I got to a place where I didn't like my church. And I've always loved our church. 18 years I've been here, always Loved it. And I got to a place where I knew I was in trouble because within two months, I'm like, then I'm done. If this is what people are saying, if this is, you know what, then what is it worth? It's Psalm 73. I want Asaph. If this is what the people are like, if this is what they're doing, then why am I doing this? Then why am I doing this? Then what's it matter? Dude, for 18 years, I've loved you and your family. And this is the response just because mm -hmm. you didn't like my stance on one thing. Then shame on you. And now I got a handful of these. Now it's shame on me. All right, fine. I'll go someplace when I... Dude, and I had to just grab my family in the midst of no one going anywhere. I took them down to Mexico. I told my wife, I just need to get out of Dodge. My heart isn't good towards the people that I'm supposed to love. Then my heart's not good. And Mexico was basically paying you to come down there because they had lost all tourism. <laughs> so I went down for two weeks, sat on a beach, um, let the kids play in a pool. And I just cuddled up with Jesus and some old scripture and said, man, I can teach this but I need to live in it. And I got my heart back. And I came back understanding, dude, what am I whining about? Well, people don't like me. People are leaving the church. People are saying this. And I'm like, holy cow. And then Christians are using, man, persecution. Oh, the church is being persecuted. And I'm like, if you think this is persecution, we've got to go to some countries and beg forgiveness. This ain't persecution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did we face some hardship? Sure. Did anybody go out and kill my family in front of me? Did anyone in jail me for pre... Come on. But man, our little... Precious Christian lives have never been rocked like this in ministry. And the first time that boat shook a little, a lot of us need to be reminded of Jesus. Yeah. If he suffered and died, if every disciple besides John was killed for their faith, look what happened to the prophets. 
look what happened to Paul. Then I'm like, and why am I expecting a much better life than them? I have a quote from Bodhi Bakum. He said, uh, suffering is common for all. However, persecution can be avoided. All you have to do is compromise. Mm. And I really like that. I, mm. I had that. I read it a few weeks ago. I was actually talking on persecution from the Sermon on the Mount at our church. And I, I had it at an open forum because I was like, I don't think we get persecution. Mm. I really don't understand it. I could teach a theological standpoint, but I want to talk about this. And, and when I read that, that hit me in a spot that had never really been touched before. It's like, maybe the persecution isn't coming to me because I've just been compromising way too much. Like you're saying, like a, a, like a Timothy who's just tired, beaten, and worn down, and that's the point when we just give in a little bit more. I, I had, had a Christian say, I don't think the enemy's ever attacked me. And I'm like, probably because he doesn't find you a threat or dangerous. And it came off so quick. And then I was like, ooh, I can see that stung a little bit. I said, look, I didn't mean that as harsh. That was just, and they're like, no, no, give me something to think about. But I walked away going, that was actually a pretty dang good answer. You know, and it was just one of those after service things like, I don't think I've ever been attacked by the enemy. And I'm like, why would you? Yeah, I was going to say another Vody Bauckham quote to follow that up with or what you just said is uh, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Vody oh. <laughs> says after a lot. And yeah, some of those yeah. things are, yeah. can hit. Well, and this is kind of closing down the thought on Second Timothy 4. The, you said, hey, what do you think about this verse? That I fought a good fight. I finished the great race. I've kept the faith. One of the probably most famous verses out of this book. But you got to back up the verse before it. 2 Timothy 4, 6, where Paul says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Now I can say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Man, famous last words. See, this is where you go, Chris, can you say you fought the good fight that you've kept? No, I don't think I'm at the end of this road. I'm scared to death of what I may do next week. It's so easy for a corrupt heart and soul like mine, a broken vessel, to blow it. I'm constantly walking in fear of, Chris, don't screw this up. But I love the example. He is telling Timothy, get back in the race, get back in the fight, get back in the field, get back farming, watch out for false teachers, hold on to the faith. I know it's tough, but people got a lot tougher. Remember for the sake of Jesus what we're doing this. Remember what he went through and remember people are being saved. And let me give you an example. I'm about to go. My life is done. At the end of it, I can say I fought the good fight. I'm finishing my race. I've kept the faith. Man, to finish this ministry and not have an asterisk by your name because you cut corners, because you disobeyed the commanding officers, because you went off and plowed in another field. But to be able to finish this race and say I was far from perfect, there's a lot of things I would do different. But man, I was faithful. What an end. What an end. Oh, maybe that was the end. <laughs> no, a lot of what you're saying, uh, it's weird because it seems like every time I'm in proxy to Chris, there seems to be this point where you just hit a spot in my own personal life where I'm like, can you stop preaching at me or oh, convicting me We got to stop the hanging out. Yeah. You're going to want to avoid me. <laughs> uh, but I came from a spot where... Um, I, I resonate with Timothy where he was at, and you had talked about it a lot at the beginning that like just you forgot Jesus in your ministry, and that's what happened to me. And then you know, uh, you could go to the pulpit and preach something, but you weren't, you weren't doing the same thing, and and that it was easy to do it. And then yeah, it was a hard fall, marriage falling apart. I didn't know if I was gonna stay married. We just had our son. Everything's up in the air. Go back to church. And then get taken to a conference where you speak and you, I think I've said this before, and you're like, can you just be a good husband? You're talking about like fishermen, oh, like wow. go back and do your job. And you're like, can you just go home and be a good dad? Like, 
Start simple. Can you just go back and love God? And like I'm now driving back from Sacramento to Bellflower, which is an eight-hour drive with the pastor. And he's now like, so what'd you learn? And I'm like bawling my eyes out in the front seat with him. And I'm like, I got to love God again. Yeah. And I think putting it with that verse, what really hit me was loving God, remembering Jesus part of what you're talking about is where I had to come back before I could even start thinking about doing ministry, doing a podcast, doing anything else. And that was step one. And then it was, can I love my wife? Can I love my children? Then can I love ministry and the call and all that other stuff? But it had to start with remembering who Jesus was, what he did. And when I got into all the places where all those dominoes fell and like it made sense and everything was rocking again and I picked up my word again, this thing was like, whoa, why was none of this stuff in here before when I read it the first time or the seventh time or the hundredth time? Like why now is this stuff speaking to me in so much volume? It's now with the desire to kind of like you're saying, by the end of my life, can I say faithful servant? And I think going along with with those things is I've had a very similar experience, you know, coming in the past, like coming in the church, coming in hot and then falling back into some mess and some new mess and different stuff and find myself at the point of, oh man, I've spoiled this thing. I can't say I've done well. I've been faithful. And if I were to look at this and someone asked me, just like, no, I could never say that. Mm. But then the words of Jesus, when he was giving that example of, you know, there's a master and has two servants and tells him, go out and do the work. And one of them says, yeah, I'll go do it. And the other one says, no. But the one that said, yeah, went out and didn't do it. But the one that said no eventually turned around and did it. Yeah. And uh, that kind of hit me to where I was at a spot. Oh, I've, I've spoiled the thing. You know, there's no, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? And then just hearing those words of Jesus, like, no, I, I did mess it up. Yeah. But like, there is repentance. God, God willing, we'll pray for repentance. And there is grace and to be able to come in and then finish well from there. Yeah, the problem that Jesus has as this master sculpture and sculptor and artist is that he's got no clean material to work with. Everything he has to work with is broken and marred, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the grace that we want, we got to give to others. You know, the grace here on Timothy is, you know, Paul is pouring out grace. Buddy, you're in a really tough spot. Get up. Keep moving forward. You're not done. God's not done. The harvest isn't over. You've been beaten down. I wrote you three years ago. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Man, you were full of just spit and vigor. You were full of fire. You're going to take Ephesus by storm. And now Ephesus has taken you captive. And the world that you thought you were going to conquer has conquered you. And this is a nick of time book. Famous last words that go, hey, my boy, I need you to listen. Mm -hmm. The enemy is wise. You've left yourself weak and alone. I need you to find strength, not in who you are, but in whose you are. I need you to find some people to do this with. I need you to entrust this with others. And then I need you to take on a different mindset. Here's three. You know, mm-hmm. here's soldier. Here's athlete. Here's farmer. May I remind you of Jesus. May I remind you of my life that you've seen and how I'm ending my race. And now here's how you get in and get rid of false teaching. Here's how you make sure that the Bible is profitable. All scripture is profitable you know, for your teaching, for your rebuking, for building, get back in the word and get back in the game. And we're going to see that Ephesus had quite a run in this. So it's a phenomenal book when you get the location, who wrote it, who he's writing it to, the relationship and go, oh, this is beautiful. I don't turn to Second Timothy when I'm like, man, life couldn't be better. That was the most amazing Easter service ever. This church is amazing. I turn to Timothy on the days where I go, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's just not worth it anymore 
And then I crawl up with Job in 2 Timothy and go, oh, yeah, here we go. All right, back in the game. Yeah, I like how you, even at the beginning you brought it up to um, it's a dark book. Like it's yeah. – you, you don't really – and I, I'd have to read it again to fully see if this is in there, but you don't see like Paul promising – Here's how to get out of this. No, he's saying the suffering. Join me in the suffering. Yeah, it's like you're, <laughs> join in suffering. Endure it. You endure signed it. up for ministry. Yeah. What do you think? The, you know, the reason why people in ministry have got worse, the moment you became a child of God, you became an enemy of the devil. And I think Christians, it doesn't dawn on you. Sometimes before we do our salvation prayer, if you want God to come into your life, if you want God to be with you, if you want heaven, and if you want to make sure today that Satan hates you and throws everything he can at you, I want you to say this prayer. And people go, wait, what was that second part I'm committing to? Because <laughs> Satan hates your dad, but he can't touch your dad, so he's going to go after the children. Now, those children are called to ministry, and those that actually take up the call, vocationally or not, we're all called to ministry. Mm-hmm. Those that say, man, I'm going to be in ministry. Oh, now you got a target. You're not just hated, but you got a target. And we are surprised that we're getting shot at. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? I'm riding with chains from prison, and you're surprised this is tough? Look at your example, and our example is Christ. Look what happened to him. He only made it three years in ministry. This is our example, and and we're shocked that we're having bad days? Shame on you for having the wrong mindset, and this is getting our right mindset and the power and strength to carry it out. I had uh, written down on my notes is that faithfulness to Jesus comes with a cost. And I think that a lot of times that's not, like you're saying, that's not on the front page of the pamphlet. Like it's, it's yeah. on the back end in it's small print. It's the fine print. print. Yeah, it's a small print that you really can't even read with your glasses on. It's yeah. like the Willy Wonka board as they're signing at the beginning, the, the contract, the kids to go in. And it's like, what's all this stuff yeah. way down here? At the oh, don't worry about it. You, you, when you yeah. get to it, you'll see it. And boy, We it love is. First Timothy. We yeah. love the, hey, let no one look down on you. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to go. And here's your, yeah. You know, God didn't give us a, a spirit of fear, power, mm-hmm. timidity, but a sound mind. And we're going to, and then we get in this book and go, oh, my Lord. Yeah, this is where I get that. Hey, here's the spirit God has given you. And here's why. And it's like, oh. All right. So I'm going to take it in a different direction. Not that I'm not enjoying where that went, but we kind of hit Second Timothy 1, 2, and then into 4. But we skipped over 3, even though the conversation has gone around it a lot. But 3-1, just starting off, understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without the love of God, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, Turn away from such as these. And really looking at those last days, and I like to listen to old preachers and and that. And for as many times that I've heard this preached, it's very much people preaching, this is what's going on in our world right now. And I know that the concept can be, wait, I thought Paul was talking about in the last days. But for Paul, like the last days is now. Yeah, We're in them and they are continuing to happen. And just seeing that this is the state of the culture that's around. And he's saying, look, turn away from these. Going back to, hey, Timothy, you're at Ephesus. I know what's going on there. Here's all kinds of people that you're surrounded by and what's going on. I don't know if just to kind of touch that a bit more directly. Yeah, I, I love it where people go, well, these are the last days. Well, there's the end of days, the end of times in the last days. We're all in the last days. Mm-hmm. You know, the time between when Christ rose from the dead and he returns are the last days, and we're there. I, I love, though, and I know you tried to get us in chapter 3, but the, still, the thought picks up for the teachers of that crowd. 
So if that's where our society is, if that's, I mean, what a great way to sum up our culture. You want to know our culture. It's just the verses you read. And then it says in chapter four, verse three, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, my son, my boy, Tim, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's a phenomenal, Murdoch. I'm glad you brought it up. Here's where culture is. They're, mm-hmm. they're pleased with themselves. They're following after their own pleasures. They're conceited. They're mockers, liars, people. And now let me tell you where the teachers have gone. The teachers now teach in a way to just whatever their itching ears want to hear. That We've moved away from sound doctrine. We've moved away from chapters and book studies. We've moved into, man, if I teach this, people are going to be. If I teach this, society. Man, if I teach this, culture may come at me. And so we've gotten away from sound doctrine, and now we're trying to suit our own desires and our crowd's desires. And that's a dangerous combination. And that's, man, there's a church in America that easily fits into that category. Uh, I think that really you bringing it from where the culture is at and then where the teachers are at and bringing that, that, you know, for us and for anybody, it's who's teaching you and where are you getting that from? Uh, Because if we're looking at, man, how do we change the culture and bring that in and you know, we're all part of a culture. So who are we really learning from? Who are we disciples of? Just yeah. like Paul saying, hey, Timothy, you know, mimic me as I'm mimicking Jesus and, and have that going on. For we, us. Have, we have a large military church here, over 900 military families, mainly Marines, because we're on the back gates of Camp Pendleton here. And we, so we're sending people off six, nine months at a time, every two, three years, two at a time, people are coming and going, hey, we're going here. What are we looking for in a church? And I always tell them, Go to the church that's teaching scripture, mm-hmm. not a few verses thrown in with someone's sociology 101, but go to a church that's teaching the word and then listen to the teaching once they read scripture. Is their teaching coming back to the word of God or is scripture just to set up their points and what they want to teach? We've got to be really, really skeptical and really driven to be. I got to be in a word driven atmosphere where it's the word of God and the person that's teaching the word of God is bringing the points back to scripture from scripture. It is always scripture. Scripture's not here to back our social commentary and our social truths. And there's a real danger when we have our messages and we have five verses from the Bible, all from, you know, different versions, because it matches each of our points a little bit better. And that's our use of Scripture. Just, hey, there may be great teaching coming from that. I'm just like, man, then we've forgotten doctrine. Yeah. We're teaching points that don't offend the crowd, points that we like. And the Bible's going to be offensive. If the Bible's not offensive, you're doing it wrong. We've talked about this, and then I'm going to get into another thing from the verse that Murdoch read. Uh, but we've talked about how the church, because I've grown up in church my whole life, it went from like the 60s was like, come to church or you're going to burn in hell. Like yeah. very aggressive, come to church style. And then it, that was seen as not working so much as the fear of coming to Christ didn't stay because there was no love for Christ. People started disappearing, and then we came the church became seeker friendly. So let's just tell them what we want or what they want. And we're going to get them here, but we're just going to feed them because we just all about seeker friendly, seeker friendly. And I feel like it's done such an injustice to the church because we've taken out sound doctrine. Both of them took out sound doctrine of teaching the word and teaching what it, it means. And it kind of became like this. Uh, it, it was either heavy on one scale or heavy on the other. We never balanced the scale out properly. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, there will be terrible times in the last days, right? So it's talking mm-hmm. about like 
terrible times in the last days. Like these are the terrible things that are going to happen. And you'd expect that the list then would follow with there'd be murderers, rapers, more mongers. Yeah. But it goes people who love themselves, people who love money, who are boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And like none of those are on like the list of like they would be really considered bad yeah. or like terrible, the terrible yeah. things. And I, I feel like we we scale almost sin like this one's worse and this one's the bad one. But Paul's saying we, like we've created our own measurement of yeah. sin. Yeah. Mine aren't that bad. Yeah. Some of those over there. man, those are the ones you got to watch out for. And if I look at that list, I'm going to be like, oh, dang, that's me. That's me. Yeah, that's there's me, me. There's <laughs> me. There's me. There's me. Like, I'm certainly ungrateful at times. I can be unforgiving. I've. I am definitely proud and conceited. Why am I on this list? And that's why I think what Paul was getting is that we're all on that list. Yeah. And that's what creates the terrible times is not recognizing we're on that list. But I think that even though they're not the worst of things, I think that still anybody Christian or not reads this list and is like, yeah, I don't like those people. And I don't like when I am that person. Mm-hmm. And that's where my encouragement going back to the thing of the teaching and who's teaching you is that God's will is to get men away from this. To come into lovers of others, right? To to care for others, to be compassionate, to become holy, right? And to have self-control and all of these things. And that for people who are like, no, against God and whatever, where the culture is at, I think most people are against these things. And we're trying to solve those things in so many different ways rather than God saying, can you just listen to me and come yeah. to me? Can you Can you listen to my son? Look at him. He was none of these things. I want you to be like him. Yeah, knock and it off. So take him as the teacher. Again, going yeah. back to the teaching thing. But yeah, these are, it's not the murder and all of these mm-hmm. things, but that's where Jesus was like, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, stop calling people an idiot and a fool. Well, I, I think and- it goes back to the three illustrations he's given Timothy to hold on to when he goes, okay, you got to be a good soldier. Mm-hmm. Now, and then he goes, you've got to please your commanding officer. You know, hey, yeah. there's a faithfulness here. That's the core of what you're going to be in doing ministry. Your platform is going to be faithfulness. Okay, you got to be a good athlete. You got to compete according to the rules. You know, and so his first two illustrations are, look, if you feel weak and alone in your life, you may want to look at your own life and go, well, no, duh, look what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're living a life of compromise. The power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God is not going to be alive in your life because you got a foot on both fields. You know, you're trying to say I'm a child of God, but you're living like the world and in the world. You're trying to say I'm a servant of God, but you're a friend of the enemy. And it's not working for you. So first of all, is there any way you're disobeying your commanding officer? Knock it off. Secondly, think of it as an athlete. If you're breaking the rules, then no wonder you're not feeling the pride and the prize and the reward that comes with it. Now, thirdly, like a farmer, you put your head down. You allow the grace and strength of God to work in you and through you and realize you might not get the harvest till the very end. Heaven may be your heaven, not here. Mm -hmm. And there's an encouragement to Christians that are struggling right now. And it might not be the encouragement you're looking for, but just to remind you, this world, whatever you're struggling with right now, is as close to hell as you will ever get. This is it. If you go, Chris, you don't understand what I'm going through, man. You don't understand what this year's been. Yeah, okay, I get that. I'm not trying to minimize that. But this is all the hell you will ever taste. Contrary, to keep you fired up about why we're left here and to be salt and light, because your friend, neighbor, family that doesn't know the Lord This crappy world is as close to heaven as they will ever get. And those two things have got to be these boundaries that we run in and go, okay, Lord, this is tough. But if this is as close to hell as I ever get for eternity, 
okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And God, for the person I know and love that doesn't know you, if this is all they ever get of heaven, if this is as close as they get, oh, then Lord, give me the strength and your grace and your mercy to be able to be used in their life. Really like where we're going with all this, Chris. I'm really glad we came down here and we want to be respectful to your time. So I think unless there's anything else you want to add to what Paul's writing here to Timothy. We could I don't think I'd ever add anything to what Paul's writing. <laughs> Let me write chapter five. If there's anything you would like to Third say Timothy more on by Chris about Brown. this. <laughs> Third Timothy. If there's anything more that you want to add, then we'll we, oh, we been that. This has been rich but, just to sit down with brothers and talk about it. I love what the two of you are doing. I love that you're taking information and you're giving it and making it so accessible to people just for that daily learning, that daily grind, that daily in the word. Appreciate you guys. That's why, you know, first time we met, we did this, loved it. And I told you again, man, if, if you guys want to make the drive and the time, I'm more than happy to sit with you. I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we our, our goal when we sat down is like, what should we do as a podcast? And one of the things that we always just enjoy doing, because we're really, we're best friends, but we have nothing else in common other than the Bible. And that's all we would talk about. And we just thought like, I feel like that's lacking is just going into the word and having discussions like we would like this. A conversation where people are like, I wonder, what does this really mean? What is, what is Paul getting at? Like, as we looked at Second Timothy and why this book should be remembered. And then we decided, like, this is what we're going to do is just talk pure Bible. We, we could speculate on a lot of other things and get into cultural things. But I feel like as we go through the Bible, it's going to take us there anyways. It'll drive that car. So that, that's always been our goal and mission. So thank you for being a guest two times. And uh, I didn't say it on the recording, but my daughter loves listening to you. It's what we put on for her to help her go to sleep. And she oh, that's, was... <laughs> that's my people use me to go to sleep, too. It's called services at 9, 11 and Saturday night at five. <laughs> but she really had I always asked her, like, why do you like listening to Chris? And she says, because he's funny. And how old is she? She's nine. That's She's about my dead. target audience right there. She the one episode she really liked was I think you were telling a story about how you and your wife met or the day you're going to get proposed to her or something. Mm -hmm. And she really like enjoys that. Then you get into scripture and she starts dozing off. But I mean, she you're a good storyteller. <laughs> there you go. Bedtime stories. <laughs> Sounds just like Sunday services. She does the same to me, so don't take offense to it. But yeah, man, we're super glad you were able to give us your time. And, and we know you're a busy man to do this. So we just want to say thank you again. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate it. So let me wrap this one up. I am Chris. I'm Yurda. And I'm Chris Brown. And we are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Oh, back up. Nahum, Obadiah, Jude, Philemon, Haggai, Amos.